This is the Best Friends Podcast, dedicated to sharing the people and programs that are ending the killing of cats and dogs in America's animal shelters. You'll hear from animal welfare leaders from across the movement who will share the innovative and collaborative work that are creating life-saving successes in communities of all sizes. Hello and welcome to the Best Friends Podcast. Today is July 21st of 2022. A quick request from me to you, if you have not subscribed, followed, or whatever the terminology used by your favorite podcast app is, if you haven't done that, please do it. Turn those notifications on so you don't miss an episode. And we always appreciate you sharing the podcast. Love seeing posts on social media, LinkedIn, Facebook. There are some great discussions happening around the things we talk about on the program. Hopefully you're enjoying the podcast, so help us continue to grow it. It'd mean the world to me if you shared it with every single person you know. A reminder about last week's episode on the Consumer Adoption Analysis Survey, you know, with positive outcomes down in 2021 and the trend of that continuing into 2022, we best friends, just like you, I'm sure, we wanted to know why. So we commissioned a survey. We talked about it last week, but I wanted to mention that my colleague Liz Finch did a deeper dive into the results, put that together into the most recent editorial that you can check out on the Best Friends Network Partner website. There will be a link in the show notes on your podcast player. You know, understanding the why and the when and how the public is adding pets to their families gives us some really good insight into how we all can make sure we're doing everything we can to maximize our life-saving efforts. So check it out. Show notes on your podcast player. You can always go to bestfriends.org slash podcast. Click on the link for episode 120. 120. Wow. Okay, so uh, on to today's episode. So I mentioned to you before that at the conference the first week of July, I was able to sit down with quite a few folks and record interviews. Most of them didn't really have a specific topic, just more like to check in. Hey, come sit. I got a couple of microphones. How are things going? You know, maybe we chat about their conference presentation topic, whatever, anything goes. So today we're sharing one of those conversations, this one with the director of Memphis Animal Services, Alexis Pugh. We've had her on the show before, but it's been a long time. And if you know Alexis, you've heard her before on this program or a town hall or anything, you know that every conversation with her is likely to get you thinking. And this one is no different. So I hope you enjoy it. My conversation with Alexis Pugh of Memphis Animal Services at the Best Friends National conference earlier this month so i i mean i just want to catch up i guess yeah you know? absolutely what have you been doing yeah so um well here at the conference this week i have two sessions that i've been asked to be a part of one completed so far one tbd um at three o'clock this afternoon so i was able to be a part of a panel um that angela rivetto who is you know one of the strategists for best friends hosted talking about sort of the preconceived notions between northern and southern shelters and so i was asked to represent southern shelters and just talk about you know some of the assumptions that people in the north make about the south versus southern shelters making these assumptions about the north and really some of the, the two main differences being transport programs and how we really utilize them as a tool to manage our population, whereas northern shelters are doing that as, as an aid, you know, as a resource. And then managed intake and how managed intake pet resource centers really had an evolution in the Northeast far earlier than we did. And so, you know, I, I said during the presentation, it was 
it's it's sort of like a, a glimpse into the future when you look at what's happened in the Northeast and how by implementing these kind of managed intake and pet resource center programs, we can hope to move in that direction. And that's really the key to, to getting us to those places where shelter capacity is not a critical issue like it is today. And then this afternoon, I'm talking, um, I'm speaking with Tawny Hammond, which is always a good time. And we're talking about leading change. And it, it really focuses on the idea of these new innovative programs. I mean, you can't leave this conference without having heard terms like community-supported sheltering, you know, community cat diversion, um, keeping families together, all of these terms. But how do you actually take a team that has become very accustomed to their ways, uh, to the the strategies that they've employed for many years, to the savior complex that many of them feel when they remove an animal from a situation that they deem less than and bring it to the shelter. How do you change that sort of core innate belief that many of these passionate animal-loving people come to work with and tell them that there's a better way? And so she and I today are going to be talking about how you sort of put a bow on everything you learned at this conference bring it back home and inspire your team and lead your team through what will certainly involve challenges because change is tough. Uh, change doesn't come easy, but it's worth doing. So um, that's sort of my contribution. And then, of course, attending a million amazing sessions. Um, such great content this year. More sessions than we've ever had. Yeah, I could feel that. And and, and I could feel it in the um, self-inflicted anxiety OCD way that I couldn't decide. <laughs> there would be like one time slot and I would have five sessions I wanted to go to all with these amazing experts in the field that bring unique perspectives. And I was like, I don't know what to go to. So luckily, one of my team members is here. So we were able to implement the uh, divide and conquer strategy. But just so much great content. And it's exciting To be in a space like this, you know, one thing I said to somebody the other day, I said, I've been to other animal welfare conferences, great information, great content, but I feel like some of the other conferences are really heavy on information, and this conference is heavy on inspiration. Like, if you don't walk out of that closing session with chill bumps and maybe a tear in your eye, because there's going to be an emotional video. Like, I know how y'all do. There's going to be an emotional video that tears at the heartstrings. The Brandywine Valley SPCA video. Chip. Wasn't that great? Chip? It's incredible. Oh, I know. Like, I'm sorry, but, but, but a man older than me, like a tough guy crying, like, how do you not join him in that tear shedding? One of the things that I'll never forget, he said, was uh, we had seven to ten people doing euthanasia because we had to spread it out. Like we were doing it that much and it couldn't possibly fall to one person. And of course, at that point, those are resources that can't go to life saving. Yeah. Like really just like, I mean, how many shelters are still there? I mean, I think probably a lot. Yeah. Uh, you know, the remaining rural shelters, a lot of them are probably experiencing very similar things. And and I'm not going to lie. You know, I, I talk about it a lot. I feel this degree of imposter syndrome often when I'm asked to present at these sessions or even talk to you, John, because, you know, we're struggling. Memphis, it's, it's hard right now. And I know a lot of my peers in other uh, major metropolitan cities, particularly in the South, are struggling as well. I mean, we are at capacity. We have absolutely seen the impacts of inflation, the eviction moratorium being lifted. We had a little gap there from when the 
actual lifting happened to when the courts started ruling on those cases. And I mean, my officers are running calls back to back. They There was one the other day where they went to an apartment complex and the process server had seven evictions to serve for that one apartment complex. And many of these people have pets um, and nowhere to go. And despite our best efforts, despite our efforts to say, we'll pay your pet deposit for your new property, um, we'll do temporary boarding, the access to affordable housing that allows pets is minuscule, and it's extremely difficult to find in my community. I mean, we've looked at how accessible that is, how available that is, and it's just not there. And so we're struggling. We are um, we are euthanizing some dogs that in a perfect world we wouldn't, um, that we would be able to put time, energy, and resources into behavior rehabilitation and things like that. But the the crunch of resources, the lack of staffing, it, it is a hard time right now. And I think that's why it's so important to come to conferences like this, because I am a different person I can promise you from when I got here Wednesday night to today, my tank is full again. The inspiration that I get from being with other leaders and, and seeing that, that you can't give up. Mark Peralta at the opening session said something that is really ringing true with me that I have been bad at doing lately and I'm going to do, which is it's so easy to get caught in the, the, the down, the bad, the, the, the things that aren't going right. But every single day, in that sea of bad, I mean, there is a glimmer of hope. And even if it's something as simple that that we don't even give ourselves notable credit for anymore, that litter of eight bottle kittens came in. And guess what? Six years ago, seven years ago, they would have been walked to the euthanasia room and they're out in a foster home that same day. Like, why aren't we celebrating all the things that we are doing every single day now that are normal for us that five, six, seven years ago would have been considered exceptional. Um, and so I'm really working personally on reframing my own perspective on that because I think that that's my job as a leader. You know, we're not immune. We're, we're vulnerable too to feeling that pressure. But coming to a conference like this, that's the number one thing I want to bring back to my team. I'm going to bring back some hope. Well, let's talk about the struggle, so. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, I mean, everybody's feeling it. So I, I think, you know, you're an interesting case in this, you know, your community, you've been through some very high highs, I think, and some very, very low lows. Sure. So you've kind of been through these back and forth. I was talking to Denise Deisler, and Denise obviously has uh, such a long history in animal welfare, and her perspective is like, I can't probably put this in the podcast like this, but you know, you know what Denise is like, she's like, shit's always been bad, you know? (laughs) And yes, but no, you know, and I, and I, I don't think we should like disregard the things that are happening today because they are very real. Absolutely. But you, as part of your transition to, to a much more life-saving organization, you tackled some of the things now. I mean, how do we get positive outcomes up? How do we engage the community? So, I mean, what are you doing, I guess? You know, is the community responding? Uh, I mean, transport obviously has to be part of it, mm-hmm. but you're already doing so many great programs. Like you mentioned, managed intake. So, you know, what's next? Like, how do you try to fill this other thing? Like, what are you doing to get that those out? Yeah, so I was in a session yesterday, and it was just a, a really poignant point, for lack of a better way to say it. It was, you know, getting from when I got there, it's interesting, that that life-saving um, map that was in the opening session that talked about, you know, 2015 at 65%, and then, you know, up to nationally about 83 our trajectory in Memphis was almost identical, although we 
are a little higher than that. You know, we've averaged about 87 to 89% save rate since I've been there. But the the comment that was made yesterday was getting from that 65 to like 85% is hard. Getting from 85 to 90% is harder. You know, that that incremental success that you're trying to achieve, because what you're talking about, these are not just numbers. These are the most difficult to place dogs. These are the dogs that may need the unicorn adopter who has no other pets, you know, things like that. And so life-saving at that level, it becomes much more minutia-oriented. You really have to get granular with saving those pets. And so that's what we're really trying to work on at our facility is identifying new outcome strategies that require us to kind of get outside of our, our traditional methods of doing that, really focusing on fostering because we know that that's such a key way to take a dog that maybe is not marketing well in the shelter environment and give him that opportunity. I, I refer to that as, you know, we, we got to get him as hype man. We got to get that person who's like, this dog's the best. Um, so that's really important on the outcome side. But absolutely, we have had to shift focus on intake prevention. We have had to, to shift focus on diversion because no matter what we do on the back end, there are just going to be some pets that are only, and we see it all the time. We see it with reclaims, right? You have a dog that is not doing well in the shelter system, you know, exhibiting all of the fear, anxiety, stress, um, maybe teeth bearing, maybe, you know, barrier reactive. And then their owner comes to get them. And it's like they've turned into this different creature. And I think we as a as an animal welfare agency have to value that pre-existing relationship more heavily. Like, why is that dog so happy to see that person? Because they're a family. And so we need to start treating those community members with greater value. And I think that that has not been something that many people in my community have agreed with. Um, I think that there's a lot of fear-based thinking. I think there's a lot of people that assume that if someone um, doesn't have money, that maybe that means they're not a great pet owner. A hard one for me to overcome is outdoor dogs, um, if the pet lives outside. And so we've had a lot of pushback. We've had a lot of pushback in these changes. But what I try to sit back and think, and I think everyone should do, is think about every change that's ever happened in the world. Not animal welfare, like just in general, every change. How hard was it to make that change happen? Gina Nepp talked about this in a session. She said, if you're old enough, which a lot of the young people would not. But there was a time period where we didn't wear seatbelts. Like just FYI, mm -hmm. young children like toddlers sat in the front seat of cars on a bench seat of the old station wagon with the wood paneling on the side and just rode next to mom by the steering wheel. And, and if your mom was like mine, she was also like smoking also the whole time, windows up. There you go. <laughs> like had to use windshield wipers to see through the smoke in the car. But I mean, these were normal things. And so we devalue how much work went into those changes. Um, you know, Gina talked about the crash test dummies and how that campaign really changed that narrative. But it took a, a, a national effort and it took a lot of work to, to get that message out. And so I look at the best friends message of, you know, no kill 2025. I mean, look how far that national cohesive messaging has brought our movement. But setbacks are part of change. And in fact, I'm going to talk about it this afternoon. There's this great graphic, I'm sure you've, you've seen it, where it's like what people think success looks like, and it's an arrow starting at the bottom of a graph going straight up in a beautiful straight line, and then like what it actually looks like, and it's like a whole, you know, nest of mess, like bird's nest of mess. 
um, there are ups and downs. And so I think that we are trying to make maybe one of the biggest societal changes that that has happened, uh, certainly for our industry, to end the killing of dogs and cats in shelters. Like what? And so I think we need to give ourselves a little more credit. I'm kind of on the Denise team with that now. We It's always been hard and we've, we've you know, sucked it up. <laughs> like and we've done the work. And so I think that that's just where we're at now. It's a setback, but it's a setback from a, a much higher starting point than where we where we started years ago. You, uh, your community, you have made headlines at times. Sometimes um, good, sometimes not so good, John. Not so good. And, you know, some, like you've got quite a few people sometimes in Memphis and aren't very happy with what's going on there. Absolutely. And what is the community response right now? I mean, is there an understanding that, you know, there are a lot of things, external factors that we're really struggling with. We need you now more than ever. Are they there for you or are they seeing it, you know, hey, they're backsliding. You know, they're, they're going to go back to how it used to be. Depends who you're talking to. Sure. I think um, I was listening to a different podcast the other day and they were saying there is this be- false belief that when you start to become more successful or more notorious, whatever that looks like, when your profile elevates and, and you achieve levels of success, that there is any possibility that that will only come with positive feedback. And that is a, a falsehood that the more successful you get, the better you do, the more you're out there, positive feedback will always have negative feedback with it. Like both are going to come along for the journey with you. And so, yes, we still have the STP, the same 10 people. That's that's a phrase I've heard, STP. The first time I heard that, I thought somebody was talking about Stone Temple Pilots and I, I went back to my 90s in high school. The reality is, is that the same 10 people are going to have a problem with, I think, anything we do because they have made a core decision that they don't like me and or they don't like our team. And I think that I used to try too hard to change their minds instead of focusing on the fact that they are a very minuscule fraction of a much larger community that has very different needs, desires, and wants. And it can never be my job to try to cater to the extremes, right? I mean, if you think about it, I have some people in my community who have vocalized to me that they want us to pick up every single free-roaming dog and bring them to the shelter, euthanasia be damned. They don't care. As long as it's done humanely, they don't care what the euthanasia rate is. They just do not ever want there to be a free-roaming dog in the community. Versus I also have people who want absolutely every animal to be saved regardless of its even its medical health you know it's suffering and they so there's no way to appease all of those extremes so it's my job to use best practices science data and bring what is going to provide the most effective solution for everybody but it's never going to be 100% what they want or 100% what they want so it's been a time where we've really tried to focus on the true communities that need us the communities that we have to serve and not those same 10 people who like to be loudest and asterisk never have a solution to the to the problem just share what they don't like about it so i am in the solution business I come to best friends conferences and I get solutions and I bring them back home. And that's what we're doing. Everything we're doing today. I learned, you know, early COVID, 
We were doing best friends town halls all the time, virtual, the best friends symposium, all of these things. I'm, I was just absorbing and pulling and tugging. And that's why we now today have a fully functioning pet resource center with three full-time staff members. We are funding it completely out of grants and donations. We'll pay up to $300 for any citizen for medical care, temporary boarding, pet deposit, surgery. I have not touched taxpayer, except for the staff that's in the positions, I have not touched taxpayer dollars to fund our pet resource center. And we're on track this year. We'll serve over 5,000 families, many with multiple dogs. Pet food, just robust Pretty much whatever you need. I mean, I, I kid. I think I said in a session, I said, I mean, if, if if I take you to the Gap and buy you a T-shirt and that will help you keep your dog, like, let's go shopping. You know, sky's the limit. What behavior counseling? It doesn't matter. Because I looked at, and this is, anyone can do this in their organization. Take your average expenses. Um, I pulled out my field costs and I looked just at sheltering expenses. And don't don't just look at your animal care team. Include your adoption team. Include your veterinary clinic team. Include your foster and marketing. Include that whole overall operating budget. And then divide that by the average number of animals that come in. Boom. There's your average cost of care per animal, right? And not just to feed that dog in a kennel, to run your operation average. So for us, it's $309, leaving field department out. So I said, if that's $309, average cost of care to put an animal in my shelter, and I can spend $300 or less to keep it out, isn't that a way better way to spend some money? Especially when that $300 I'm spending isn't coming from our taxpayers. It's literally coming from individual donations and granting agencies supporting our work. So to me, it's 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 the magic sauce. Because... It's not 100% effective, right? There's always going to be those animals, hence we're very full. There's always going to be animals that don't have an alternate path and have to come in. It's it's going to be a part of what we do. But I said this to McKenna last year, and it holds true. If you looked at my 2019 intake, like, you know, same period, and then looked at 2021, our intake was down. It was We looked at, like, January through March, you know, first quarter. It was down. But... If you added in the amount of families we served through our pet resource center, we actually had a 7% increase in the number of animals served by our organization. We just didn't do it within the four walls and within a kennel at my shelter, which we can all agree is the worst place for a dog to be. So it's about still performing the service, still performing the work, but doing it in a different way. And it's not easy for everyone to understand. And so I feel like I'm on a constant, you know, communication campaign, like what we're, what we're talking about right now to explain it's not no, it's just not that way. And I think there's a long tail effect to that type of approach that is sometimes overlooked. Behavior counseling. You've helped that pet owner much more than just today. You've helped them be a better pet owner for the rest of their lives, right? You've created a relationship that now they know they can come to you for help uh, without judgment, right? So much of that, John. And I think, I th- I'm so glad you brought that up because I think that that is completely an undervalued piece of this. You know, I talk a lot about why, you know, a person finding a loose dog, it's so much better to, or for our officers returning that pet home versus bringing it to the shelter because now you have that moment of education to solve for why that pet is getting out because the dog being loose is the result of the problem. The dog being loose is not the problem. 
The problem is whatever allowed for that dog to run loose, and we're not solving that if we bring that Broken dog fence. to the shelter. There you go. Fix the fence. Yep. We're done with there that. There you go. That's the problem. The dog being loose is the result, and we focus too much on the result of the problem. But I think it's so critically important what you said. Our community, our communities, I would say, for the vast majority of, of places in America – have not trusted government agencies, including animal control, when they show up in their neighborhood. They think you're, uh, we're here to get your dog. We're here to punish you. We're here to do. So changing that narrative and then starting on that path through education. I was saying this to somebody. I was like, you know, we take for granted how much we know. We're the experts. The people in animal welfare, we are so much more of, of experts then, I mean, look at your family. Like, my family doesn't know any, you know. They're buying dogs at breeders, and they're like heartworm medicine, you know, and you got to, like, tell them. We're the experts. We know this stuff. So we have to recognize that it's somewhere, at some point along our path, our journeys, we crossed paths with this information, whether it was parents who told us adopt, don't shop, or spay and neuter, or whatever that looks like. At some point, we crossed paths with this information through our unique set of, of experiences and social channels. The vast majority of our communities have never had those, those paths cross, you know, cross those paths. They're just unfamiliar. I have this guy that works for me. He's such a great like bellwether for everything I do. So he's my facility manager, and he's like, I learn something new every day here because he's like, I didn't grow up. Nobody talked about this in my neighborhood. I didn't know any of this stuff. And but just, they wanted to. That's the difference. A lot of people obsessed with learning. Do you know what I'm saying though? Like yes. it's like, well, why would we go educate? You know, this it's that reaction. Well, we'll just go take those pets. They don't right. know how to do it. We all want to be better pet owners. If I, we have a pet in our lives because we love them. Yeah. So, and they just don't know. Right. And like and but but our first instinct is always to judge them for not already knowing and then saying we can help. We just have to get out of that mindset and it's like they're they are not less than because they don't know and it's in fact it's our jobs to to make sure that they have access because they deserve that and we have not given it to them. Yeah, I'm kind of a broken record uh, on this one on the podcast probably <laughs> but it's like to me it, it's it's something you we really can't say enough which is those people are going to get pets. They're going to have pets. You can go to that home where they had the broken fence and they had the dog running loose and you can say, you know what? Nuisance, bad owner. We're going to take your dog. They're going to go get another dog. People want pets in their lives. Yeah. So it just, it's so like counterintuitive and we're just, we just keep doing the same thing over and over and then expecting different results. When you think about it from a retail perspective. So basically, you know, stores around the country are going to move merchandise to the retail locations where they know there's a demand. Meaning, Walmart probably does not have a giant boogie board section in Idaho. Maybe they do, I don't know. But if you go to the Walmart near you know, the beach, there's gonna be three aisles of beach toys and, and boogie boards. I promise I'm getting somewhere. So we, we, we know that stores use this model of like what sells through geographically and let's put that type of merchandise there where it's going to sell through quickly. We have these communities that want dogs 
And we're trying to move that, quote, merchandise into completely new communities that maybe don't have a demand for that. Um, you know, we've, we've historically said, well, we're going to remove dogs from these, you know, low-income communities, communities of color, and then we're going to try to place them all in, like, upper-middle-class white suburban neighborhoods. That's going to work sometimes, but from a volume perspective, you should be looking more at what is the, the type of animal that these communities are interested in. And uh, Kristen Hassan said it yesterday, and I've heard it before. Why aren't we taking the dogs picked up in X zip code and doing adoption events with those dogs that were picked up in that zip code back into that zip code? Like, there's a demand for dogs that look like that in that community. So I think we just need to be more open to the idea, like you said, that everybody wants pets, and why are we not being a part of that solution. And again, now they're getting spayed and neutered pets. They're getting pets that come with an adoption counseling on the front end rather than my neighbor's you know, dog down the street and then it has Parvo because it doesn't have vaccines. So I just think there's such a benefit to us opening our eyes to the fact that animal welfare is a bubble. We serve communities and we have to be more community focused. Last question, well, you mentioned your facility manager you know, I think we uh, are in a very difficult time, and especially I think in communities where there's been success. You know, if you came on and went through that and got to a great point, now you're like, man, this is so hard again. Like, what are you doing internally, Alexis, to keep morale up, to keep your internal healthy, right? Like, because I think it's something that we've definitely focused on in, uh, you know, at Best Friends. And I mean, Julie's thing is like, listen, if we're good internally, we're going to no kill the heck out of everything out there, right? So, you know, whether that's better pay, good benefits, you know, we want to make sure those things are taken care of. But how do we really keep people have their cups? I mean, how do we do a conference every day in, internally? Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. I mean, how do you do that? Especially, I think, in a community where you're really overwhelmed. Yeah, so I took a personal look at myself in that regard. And you're right, like I got our part-time pay, our all of our part-time staff now makes $15 an hour instead of 12. I found a way to do that. Got raises for a bunch of my team, um, you know. So, I have definitely been working on those sort of, you know, very concrete uh, benefits to team. But I started looking at the fact that what we as leaders tend to do is we do all the work and then we go in. If there's time at the end, then I'll try to like focus on fun, right? And that that becomes the last thing on our list. Fun, joy, happiness, all of that. And so what it ends up being is, as somebody said in a session, a little Caesar's hot and ready pizza. <laughs> like, because that's all you've got left in your tank after you've done all the other things and you're like, all right, my team needs me. I'll order a pizza for them today. Or like, I got donuts. You know, like that That became sort of this apathetic attempt at staff engagement and employee appreciation. You know, I throw a box of donuts in the break room and I'm like, aren't you guys happy now? Like everybody's good, right? You got a glazed donut. So I have said, we need to flip that. And it's it now needs to be my job to put fun and joy and happiness first on my to-do list and and the work has to come second to that because happy employees are more productive employees happy employees stay in the job longer you know so i have to prioritize that so some of the things we've been doing and this will be in my session this afternoon but i saw this amazing video it's on youtube it's really easy to to access it's christiana hospital in delaware and they did this project um, about what brings you joy at work 
And so it was like a lady rolling a cart around with post-it notes and they made this huge collage. So we did that at my shelter and um, I had everybody watch this video and then we took cards and we made this huge wall collage of what brings us joy at work. And like, you know, it's sent front and center for everybody to reference as they walk by and just revisit that, the, the joy at work. Um, we're doing some fun contests where if um, you get recognized for doing something good, you get like these little stickers to put on your badge. And if you get five stickers, you get to go choose from this epic prize closet that has like air fryers and like, you know, camping chairs and gift cards and all of this. And we're doing contests, return to um, return to owner in the field contest for our officers, $100 target gift card per month for the person who does the most. So Dang, you hiring? <laughs> yes, I absolutely am. It's too hot for me in Memphis, but maybe somebody listening. Yeah, no, I absolutely am. But I mean, it's, it's constantly trying to think of things like that. And one thing that I, those, those are all actions. But one thing that I try to live every day with is that the work's always going to be hard. It's going to be hard. Like we do not sell t-shirts at the Gap. Like we we have hard emotional work. And despite everything going right in a given day, there's there's something emotional that's going to happen. And I have to be the attitude leader. And to any leader out there, even when you're having a hard day, if you can bring laughter, if you can bring joy, if you can just ask a staff member a simple question as you walk by, it's so easy to get in our silos and like our blinders on, but just have a conversation with one different person a day about like, what did you do this weekend? Or, you know, find something that you can point out that's interesting about what they're doing or what they're wearing or something like that. You have to make it a part of every day to be the person that shows that even in dark times and even in rough days, it's okay to be joyful and it's okay to laugh and it's okay to be happy. And that that kind of internal place of goodness is what's going to help us navigate through the dark stuff. So be a joy leader, be a fun leader, be a happy leader, even when it's breaking you inside to do it. And your team, your team will appreciate that. Thank you to Bethany Hines, Kayla Sebo, Whitney Blyton, Kim Clonch, Tawny Hammond, and Mark Peralta for helping to produce this program. My name is John Dunn, and this is the Best Friends Podcast. <laughs>